Agents Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Power ISA, the industry experts in real estate ISAs. Get more appointments. Make sure your follow-up gets done on time and you get the most out of your leads. Get a great ISA for real estate on your team and watch the results roll in. Power ISA has served over 1,200 agents in the U.S. and Canada since 2015, and it's the one-stop shop for everything you need to get a great inside sales agent on your team. Whether it's setting appointments with your internet leads or making outbound prospecting calls to help you get more listings, Power ISA can get it done for you. Visit PowerISA.com forward slash LCA to get started. That's PowerISA.com forward slash LCA. I think every real estate agent on the planet, and if you don't fall into this category, you can just stop listening, but I don't think anybody can say it, would love to increase their average sales price. They want to get into luxury. You want to sell more homes at a higher price point. It's natural, right? It's more efficient, make more money, doing less work, potentially. And I've got the perfect guest who was a guest, by the way, going all the way back to 2019, episode 19, uh, by the way, we ran into each other at a recent event. Uh, we were both speaking there and I thought, Michael, we've got to redo this again. It's been too long. And now here we are doing like, it feels like like 500 events together over the next 30 days. Uh, so we're going to get our fill and I'm looking forward to it. We're talking, uh, we're going to be talking to Michael Lafitter today. Many of you know him. Uh, obviously he is a luxury specialist. He has got a platform where he teaches this called Lux. Uh, he flies all over the country and speaks. He does CE. I mean, what don't you do, Michael? Welcome back to the Lab Code Agents podcast. Hey, I, I appreciate it, man. So I was episode 19. 19. Fast forward. And you guys are cranking these out. You know, now we are at, well, I'm not sure what your episode will be, but the most recent was 176. Um, and so this is going to probably be one of the 180s. Yeah. We're, wow. We're, we're wow. How many you guys produce in a month? Four? Yeah. One, one a week. One a week. One a week. Yeah. 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 So when I started ours, Luxury Listing Specials podcast, we were doing two a month. Uh, we just launched our 200th episode a few weeks back. So uh, we're doing four a month as well now. So that's great. Keep it up. Awesome. So you've been doing, you've been at this longer than we have then, I guess. Yeah, but you guys are gaining traction quicker <laughs> because we, we started out doing two a month uh, for the first couple of years. That's awesome, man. So, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's rewind the clock here. I'm not going to assume everybody knows you. I think a lot do, but not everybody probably does. So tell us your story. How'd you, how'd you get into the business and what led you to what, where you are today? Yeah. So uh, abbreviated version, I was a part-time real estate agent and a full-time high school teacher. And the only reason I got into real estate is I had a deck cleaning and staining business, Jeff, uh, during the summers as a teacher. I was a high school health and PE teacher and a football coach and a couple of years of wrestling. And we were cleaning and staining a gentleman's deck. Uh, last name was Darfler, still remember. And Darfler owned Darfler Realty unbeknownst to us. And he said, Hey, have you ever thought about getting into real estate? You'd be great at it. One of our top agents is a, is a teacher locally here. And uh, you've got great personal skills and you're motivated, yada, yada, yada. So uh, within four months I was licensed, um, but 2000 to 2010, I was a part-time agent, um, but I did launch my speaking career and in 2008 at a women's council realtors event uh, because I was a very top producing agent. I was the second leading producer for the entire Midwest uh, from one of the top 20 franchises out there at the time, uh, realty executives. And so I naturally started to have people approaching me saying, hey, Mike, we hear you're a gym teacher and you're crushing it. What are you doing? And the market shifting. And, and so uh, that's how we started our speaking. And then I started creating products to help educate agents, right? I was an educator by nature. So motivate and educate. And then uh, in 2014, 15, we made the shift to still educating, but more in the luxury upper price points. And uh, we launched our, our luxury designation in 2016. And uh, here we are today. That's, that's phenomenal. Lots of questions, but I have to, I have to go all the way back to the PE teacher because yeah. uh, I have some friends that are PE teachers and I tease them all the time. I'm like, 
like what an amazing career. It just seems low stress other than maybe some a-hole kids. Um, but it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's fun. I, I would argue as, as, as a student, it was my favorite class. I think a lot of people could attest to that, especially the more athletic ones. Uh, you know, tell me about being a PE teacher. I mean, is it what we as on the outside looking in uh, perceive it to be? It uh, was for me because I was pretty active, right? So it's been, I think, 13 years since I've run a marathon, but I'd run 11 marathons. I was active. I wasn't one of these gym teachers, which I had a guy I taught with that would tell the kids to run a couple laps and he couldn't run a lap himself, right? Wow. So it's the same thing as a trainer and speaker. I've walked to walk and talked to talk, right? I'm in the trenches. And so I was active. I'll never forget. I had a junior, senior, it was at the time a boys, te boys team class. So it was an elective class and girls could have been in it, but it's all boys. And it was baseball and we told the kids to bring their mitts, but we supplied some mitts and it was a regulation size baseball, but it was a little bit softer. Right. But I was the all time pitcher. Right. And you, the key is you want to try to keep the games close because when it was a blowout, that's when the kids got squirrely and out of hand. So, yeah. you know, the, the good kids, Jeff, I throw some fastballs, some curveballs brush them back a little bit. The kids that were struggling a little bit, I'd lob them in there to give them some success. So it was a blast. I had a lot of fun doing it, but you know, I wasn't challenged at the end of the day, you know, I'm an entrepreneur and I, I wasn't challenged. And we had my wife, we just had our first kid um, at the time and she was six months pregnant. I have two boys that are uh, just under 14 months apart. And so I was I was a part-time agent, I was an entrepreneur, working hours outside of teaching and teaching till three o'clock. And, and you know, for obvious reasons, the wife was like, hey, you got to pick one, man. We need you home more. We need you on board. And so, you know, 20 years from now, you'll regret more in life what you don't do versus what you did. That's a Mark Twain quote. And so I'm like, you know what? I got to follow my passions. My family came from blue collar. They thought I was nuts stepping away from a base salary and a pension. Um, but I wear it on my sleeve and I'm like, I, I, I have to follow my, my gut and what I want to do. That's amazing. And going back to the the person that you did the the deck for, who I guess essentially got you into the business, did you start with that brokerage? I did not. So he was independent. Uh, I started with the through, I did some due diligence, right? And I ended up starting with Cobalt Banker. They they were number one in the town I live in, Wheaton, Illinois at the time and big brand and, you know, borrowed credibility. You know, that's one thing I teach agents that break into luxury. If you don't have those luxury sales, how can you leverage other people's successes, OPP, other people's properties? And so I was able to leverage the brand um, and I had a mentor, Robin Vandiver. She's a sweetheart, still friends with them to her today. And so I leveraged the brand to help get me out of the gates. But, you know, my first five years in the business, I averaged a little over $8,000 a year, the first year zero and year two, a little bit more. But I averaged 8,000 uh, my first five years, made 40 grand in five years. But I looked wow. at it as, heck, if that's the equivalency of coaching one or two more sports. But then the light bulb went off and I started putting more time into it. And I invested in coaching. My first coach was uh, Joe Stump by referral only and Dean Jackson. And and I started to put systems into place and we got traction and uh, the rest is history. Man, that's really cool. So what was that light bulb moment or that moment when you started to shift to luxury? So the, the educational piece makes sense, right? And actually, you know what, before, before I ask the luxury question, you know, you mentioned that you became a top producing agent while you were still working another job. How did you accomplish that? Yeah. You know, I wrote a book once how I became a top producing agent working part-time hours. And, um, and so I was really big into branding and marketing. Like when I had that deck business, I would offer free power wash and stain to people that lived on a busy road with a fence. And I would power wash and stain the second half of it and put an after sign. And the first half of it would be gray and mildewy and before and after. And so I've always thought like a marketer. And that's one of the things, Jeff, that we teach agents. Don't think like a real estate agent. Think like a marketer. And so I've always... And I'm not shy either, right? I tell agents shy real estate agents have skinny kids. You can't be shy in this industry. So like we would door knock and offer free estimates for deck cleaning. So sales was something and entrepreneurship was something I was good at. I understood marketing. So how I became successful as a part-time agent is I invested in marketing, put myself out there. I went a lot of networking events uh, and to, to, to build relationships with 
business owners and business owners have a lot of clients. And if I was likable and became trustworthy, I was top of mind awareness versus uh, the other part-time Paul or part-time Patty or Rockstar Rick and Rockstar uh, Roxanne. You know, if they weren't likable, uh, I was more likely to get the referral from that business owner. I love it. And so, okay, so now let me go back to the question I just asked, which was, okay, at what point now or what caused that shift other than maybe the obvious, and maybe it was the obvious, but what, what's the answer? Like what caused the shift into luxury? Well, I wish I would have known t t today what I knew then. So for me, the shift occurred about 10 years after I got licensed. Mm -hmm. And I, I thought a lot of the limiting beliefs that many agents listening or brokers think, right? I have to be with a certain brand. I got to be licensed X amount of years. You know, I, when I got licensed in 2000, I, I owned a, a townhouse, right? I didn't have a luxury home. So I thought I had to have a big home or be in that zip code or, you know, gated community, drive a, you know, a, a nice, yeah. really nice luxury car. And those are all false, 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 Jeff. And so for me, I had a coach and I've written a lot of, wrote a lot of books, excuse me, read a lot of books. And you talk about marketing to the affluent. You know, if you're going to sell nuts and bolts uh, at a uh, at a little hardware shop, but you offered a big grill, you know, that that was huge on Father's Day, and it was, you know, and you sold a couple of those grills. They call that a slack adjuster. Those those couple big products made made up for all those little nuts and bolts. And so I I looked at my homes that I represented as a portfolio, and I, you know, like most, started out and doing the entry level and, and starter or average price points. But I, I wanted a couple slack adjusters. I wanted to add some high end and some luxury to help my bottom line without necessarily selling more homes. Yeah. Yeah. And so what was your strategy then? Because you probably didn't know then what you know now. So how did you attack that in the beginning? In the beginning, how I attacked it was canceled and expired mailers. Um, so when a home comes off the market, that's an it's no longer listed. That's an expired listing. If a seller maybe fires the agent or the agent fires the the seller, uh, they call that a canceled listing. And so uh, I uh, invested in coaches that kind of taught me that. And I did a lot of direct mail. Some people hire call services. Well, I I called. Or excuse me. I sent direct mail. And so you know some basic tips, right? I hand wrote them. I or I had my nanny handwrite them, put a live stamp on there. I'd send, literally, I'd, I'd send silver platters when I was going after luxury. I'd send bank bags. I'd send shredded money. I would have humorous letters, stuff to stand out so that if they're getting five to 10 mailers, they're probably only getting five to 10 agents sending them one mail or maybe a couple send two or three. I was sending two or three and I was sending some obnoxious. When I say obnoxious, not rude or anything, but funny, different. I, I'd send, I sent one letter from my dog at the time, Hannah, and it was a letter from Hannah to the frustrated seller. And she was, the letter was talking as if it was coming from a dog, just weird, different. And I'd have agents say that won't work in this market or that's cheesy. But I got the phone to ring. I get the hook, right? How are you going to get somebody's attention? And uh, I'm a big believer when everybody is going left, you go right. Gosh, I love I love everything that you're saying. And that really is, if you asked me uh, just off the cuff and said, will that work in luxury? I'd, cry, I'd cringe a little bit because I would think to myself, luxury is, uh, you know, the luxury homeowner might be a little stiffer. They might be a little more hoity-toity. They might be more of a, like you said, like yeah. you better be driving the fancy car like me and wearing the fancy suit like me and dressing like me and looking like me if I'm going to use you. And you're telling me and our listeners that that's not true. I, I love that. So talk yeah, a little bit so, about that. So we we really specialize in those those average to the upper price points initially with our mailers. And then we developed so many testimonials and case studies, right? And so I wasn't necessarily going after those million dollar, the luxury or the, the ultra luxury at that time. But when I made the shift to go after those, I leveraged my sales in the high end and say, those systems work in this price point, they'll work with you. If you want to go with a traditional agent, like the, the house that's on the cover of the whole, the house that's on the cover of the book I wrote called Luxury Listing Specials, this was Architectural Digest, most beautiful home for sale. When that seller was interviewing me, I was the third agent. You know, a lot of times, Jeff, in real estate, they say you want to be the firstborn, the second wife, and the third listing agent. Well, I was the third listing agent on that property. And, and so I flat out, 
when he asked me how many homes have I sold in this community at the time I hadn't sold any, but I said, listen, if you want the traditional local agent, like your first agent was your current guy's more of a city guy, but I'm, I'm not that agent. But if you want someone that's creative, that's outside the box, that does some really aggressive marketing. And I shared with them some of the things I've done, then, then you're talking to the right guy. Interesting. And that won it. Yeah. I mean, he, he liked my creativeness and tell your story. Most people are embarrassed by their story. I don't like to, I mean, I was a former gym teacher. I got a 19 on my ACT, Jeff, and I ran marathons, but I was a scholarship player. So I, I, I interweave that in my story. Like, Hey, I had to work as a teacher. I had to work with people from all types of personalities. I built a successful business as a part-time agent. So time management and marketing and developing systems and processes was something that we did. And I've run 11 marathons. I got a scholarship, scholarship playing college football when I wasn't the fastest. I did it through hard work. And so if you want somebody that's dedicated, it's got an amazing work ethic, I'm going to take those same principles that I learned on the football field or fill in the blank, fill in the blank, fill in the blank, and I'm going to apply them to you. You know, I just did a training out in Granite Bay, uh, California for a guy named Brent Gove. There are 200 agents in the room. A handful of the agents were newly licensed. Some weren't even licensed, but I had a guy that cut hair for over 20 years, forgot his first name. And he asked me, how, what story would you tell? And so I literally could take your listener's story, whether they're new to real estate, their experience, whether they're with a boutique or their franchise, whether they just went through a terrible divorce. And I could, I could take that story and craft it into a unique value proposition. But most people don't feel comfortable telling your story. And so you have to really grow your confidence. I tell agents, if you grow your knowledge, your confidence will grow. And so one of the ways you can grow your knowledge is listening to this podcast. <laughs> what are you reading and what are you listening to and who are you surrounding yourself with? You hang out with nine dead broke agents, you're bound to be the 10th. If you hang out with nine top producers, you're bound to be the 10th. So these are all things that you have to interweave into your story, into your appointments, into your uh, your branding and your marketing and your yeah. Facebook page or your educational YouTube videos, whatever it is you do or should be doing. Should be doing keyword. I, I, lo I love it. You're debunking a lot of things here. And number one, as I think a lot of agents just automatically assume, well, I have to lie about who I am and what I've accomplished. And you're, you're saying false. And this, this probably doesn't, well, it doesn't apply to just luxury. Clearly, if it works in luxury, it's going to work for everybody else. But my question would be, you're leaning into your authenticity. It's something we preach about social media and branding and marketing, and you're, you're speaking my language here. But and you said it. You, you said it best. Like somebody said, I was I was a barber for twenty years. How am I going to use it as your story? I, I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So for the agent who is asking the question right now, Michael, I, I don't have that. I have nothing in my past. I am boring. I was a stay-at-home mom. Uh, I, I'm just retired from a nine-to-five receptionist position that I don't have a good story. What are you telling to that person? So, so that person, you want to leverage your brokerage. You want to leverage your team. Uh, you want to leverage other people's properties until you have your own. So, so first you, they got to work on their mindset and their confidence and their knowledge. That's something they have to work on. We all need to right in this industry. There's a lot of ups and downs and peaks and valleys and throughout the day, right? You log into Facebook, somebody lists their home and you sold it to them and they didn't list with you. Right. And yeah. we get kicked in the shins in this industry, in the mortgage business, you work, work a file, work a file, and then they go silent. What happened? Oh, we, you know, uh, somebody gave us a better rate. Well, you didn't even allow me to, to talk about closing costs or whatever it, it, it stings yeah. and it should sting if it doesn't get out of the business so throughout the day throughout the week throughout the month you have to always work on yourself right and and life pulls you down life is like Fortnite, the, the game that's grossed more money than any game ever right in Fortnite, you build you, you build this arsenal and if you get hurt you my kids played it that's how i know i and, and you drink <laughs> You drink this drink and you get your energy back. Well, throughout the day, your energy drains, right? And ups and downs and emotions. You have to build yourself up. And that's through podcasts, through what are you reading, through working out, through spiritual, all those things. But in, while you're doing that, Jeff, how you book your build your book of businesses, I teach this concept from naughty by nature, not the same kind, but leveraging other people's properties. So as an agent, if you're a newer agent and you're with 
Remax, Cobalt Bank, or a big franchise, or you're with an independent, you can leverage other people's properties within your community. And so what I mean by that is in a lot of areas, they still do caravans or broker tours throughout the week. And so if you look, check with your MLS, your real estate board, they can show you how to do this, but you can go to other people's upper price point properties, gain some knowledge and some confidence. And, you know, if Jeff, if you and I were to role play and you were the listing agent at, you know, one, two, three Medina way, and I saw you had a, a broker open in three days and I called you and you don't know who I am. I don't, I've never had a conversation with you, but I ring, 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 ring. You there, Jeff? Oh, sorry. I'm not even answering the damn phone. Hello. Hey, that's for your sales. You got to pick up the phone. That's a whole nother topic. <laughs> hey, Jeff. Hey, Mike Lafito here. And uh, I see you have this broker tour coming up on Thursday. Uh, awesome property. Congratulations on that. And I'm, I'm hoping to attend. I just want to give you a quick call. Uh, I'm a newer agent. I'm a seasoned veteran. I've got 3,000 friends or whatever. Whatever it is, fill in your blank, whatever you're comfortable. But Jeff, I know you and I don't know each other that well, but I'd love to attend. I'm not telling you I have a buyer, but I'd love to uh, highlight your home. I'd love to tag you and include the single property website for you. And full disclosure, like I'm not the agent, but it's Jeff Pfizer's property, but I'm all about win-win. So I'd love to get you some exposure and clearly you know, tag that you're the agent in return. I'm hoping that one of the buyers be like, Hey, cool property, send me more information, Mike, or whatever it might be. Uh, I thought I'd give you a call uh, about this Thursday and just run it by you first. If I can do that and take some photos and I would tag you on everything. So it's clearly uh, listed as you are the agent of record. I think this is a brilliant strategy, especially for a young, maybe struggling agent. And I don't understand uh, and I'm going to ask you the question about how I should reply if I'm going to object that because it baffles me that any listing agent would ever object to someone else promoting their property, but I'm sure they're out there. Uh, but I would imagine it's one out of 10. Uh, why does somebody object to that? And let's help them overcome that objection. So somebody objects to that because they think, and this has happened to me, I had a record sale in a town called Naperville, Illinois, a few years back, 4.75. And I'm on Facebook and somebody forwards me a guy's post that was at my same brokerage, but posted it as if it was his listing and my video. And so that, that's why I addressed Captain Obvious, the elephant in the room in my role play with you. Mm -hmm. I said, I would clearly list you. I include your link, right? So I'm not trying to deceive, but the reality is most people don't read. So as they're scrolling, they're scrolling, they're scrolling, What's going to happen anyways, they don't read, but they see me at your property and they don't even see that I tagged you or I clearly stated throughout the video. And then if you're consistent with this, then all of a sudden they see, man, Michael Fito, every week I see him at some cool properties and they now associate you not just with entry level, but wow, this guy also does some upper price points. So getting back to your question, some agents have a scarcity mindset. They don't understand it. So that's why you have to address it and say, you know, hey, I'm not going to go out there and say, hey, this is our listing. I'm, you know, you could be with another brokerage and you can go to another broker open and, and promote somebody else's properties and clearly tag them. So that would be the first free strategy I'd have for your listeners today. So back to the, this conversation about the objection, though, is, is even the agent, and I'm asking just, I guess, some rudimentary questions here, but why would I even care if somebody was trying to deceive their audience and portray themselves as the listing agent? Because it's not going to affect anything. If they get a buyer, It's I'm still the listing agent. So why do I care? You know, you have, especially Neil's upper price points, you have um, you have some high maintenance clients. And, and if their girlfriend or somebody sees their property with, you know, part-time Paul marketing it, Hey, Mike, I paid you to market my home. Some people don't get it. They're like, why is Paul marketing? And the guy hasn't sold a home or my, my neighbor knows Paul and he's newly licensed. He's a, you know, whatever. He's not a great agent. And I hired you like, and some people don't get it. So that's kind of why some clientele, especially in those upper price points are more, uh, more sensitive, uh, sensitive. They're a little bit more, uh, I guess the, the discreet. Uh, Confidentiality-wise, whatever it might be, but but either way, most agents opt into broker reciprocity, where my listings are going to be on Cobalt Bankers and Remaxes, even if right, and it clearly just states just like on 
realtor.com or Redfin listing provided by Jeff Pfizer, you know, Pfizer Media, you know, Realty or whatever it might be, right? So there is broker reciprocity where my listings are going to be um, on other people's websites, but you really should get the agent's blessing and permission to do what I just did in that scenario. Hmm. It goes back to what you were even saying earlier about as an agent, you are, you know, you need to think of yourself as a marketer. I say that when I speak and I tell agents, I'm like, you need to think of yourself as a media company first, you're a real estate agent second, uh, because th that's, th that's the reality. And so my marketing mindset says, I mean, yes, I get it. Like, I don't want to piss off the seller, but at the same token, I would go back to my seller and be like, this isn't a bad thing. Like the more visibility we get for your listing, the more opportunities that we might get to get a buyer. And I mean, if it was me, and this is what we teach people all the time is that one of the, one of the many reasons you should be growing a social media following is to use that as a bullet in your gun when you're at your listing presentations to say, look at how many people I'm touching and how many eyeballs I'm getting, even though that's likely not going to ever sell a property, but right. perception is reality, right? And, sure. and it makes you look good. And so, I don't know, I mean, that's a- No, you're neither, right. Neither here nor no. there. No, you're right. So so that's the one strategy I recommend is leveraging other people's Love properties it. with broker opens. Like I said, I just released our 200th podcast a few weeks back. I think our 63rd podcast, I had a compass agent, Amit Buta, and he talked about when he broke into luxury, that's what he would do. Weekly, he'd go to other yeah. people's broker opens, get their permission. Some people would say no. He'd go to the next, to the next. Somebody will say yes. And it helped grow his knowledge and his confidence. Number two was other people's open houses. So I had an intern for me last year. He was going into his last year at college and he just graduated and he moved to a brand new state, a new market, and he got his license. Uh, his girlfriend took a job in Nashville. So he followed her. He's, he, he'd been licensed for probably four months now. He sold one home and it was to her. Her parents helped out. She bought a $700,000 property straight out of college. But I share that with you because the second strategy, he is, he just got a $2 million to $5 million buyer from. So uh, Dugan, who was my intern, Dugan hosted an open house at somebody else's listing. That's the second tip number two. Uh, in Illinois, it's got to be a, a, a listing within your own brokerage. If you're re You can't host an open house at REMAX if you're a Cobalt Banker in Illinois. But he's in Tennessee. And apparently it's different there and every state's different. So he hosted a $4.2 million open house a few weeks back at another brokerages listing, new construction. He had 20 couples come through, 20 people come through. You know, even if five weren't represented and even if two weren't working with an agent and you land one out of two because you're really nice and you have good follow-up, that's what happened. He's got a buyer right now. He's taking out from two to $5 million because of an open house that he hosted at somebody else's listing. And he told me, he goes, Mike, agents are lazy. I'm calling these agents with these amazing properties and they're not understanding why I'm willing to do this because they don't get these calls frequently from other agents. It's amazing. So uh, that's the second is hosting open houses, get in front of buyers on weekends. So broker opens during the week, grow your knowledge and your confidence will grow and your database and content. And then on the weekends, open houses. And then the third is leveraging successes within your brokerage or leveraging unique properties. Sylvester Stallone, uh, I think it was Forbes, was on Forbes, he listed his home uh, 50 plus million. That was interesting. So I posted about it, it had nothing to do with the brokerage I'm with, but then, if somebody within your brokerage has a successful sale or a trophy listing, Jeff, I see you got this amazing listing at 123 Elm. I saw the Chicago Tribune just did something on it. Would you mind if I posted about it and say, hey, look at what Jeff from our office just listed. So again, leveraging sales locally as well as outside the area. If it's outside the area, why might I do that? You're in St. Louis. And if there was a record sale in St. Louis from someone in our group or in our brokerage, I might say, hey, check it out, record sale in St. Louis. Don't forget, although I'm only licensed here in Illinois, I can refer you and make introductions to top rock star agents, not just in all 50 states, but across the world. Reach out to me as your global real estate advisor. Hmm. 
I love it, man. I mean, I think, uh, and I, I was going to reference too, we did a podcast uh, not too long ago. It was a few months ago, a guy named Tyler Hassman. He was based out of Canada and he's built his business, only been in it, it at the time. He was, he was the spring. So he'd only been in the business about six months. He's coming up on a year. And that's what he's done. He's a tick. He's a TikTok guy, and he goes to name mostly builders because builders are more open to this. But he goes to listings, creates some cool TikToks, ends up driving all kinds of engagement, gets all kinds of buyers reaching out to him, and he has grown a business bigger than most 10, 15, 20 year agents in less than one year just by executing on this same strategy. That's episode one sixty five. If you want to go listen to it, uh, but that's how you do this. And and Michael. I, I love I love that you shared that because not only is it um, timeless, it's uh, th- those strategies are evolving to where you can use, you know, you could actually take some skills that a lot of agents don't have, which would be simple skills, like maybe some basic video editing skills, like using Instagram reels, using TikTok and, uh, and really help, uh, you know, grow your buyer uh, base. So, but this is for that agent who says, I don't have a story. Uh, so now let's, let's graduate. Let's, let's move forward a little bit uh, because I assume you're not doing this anymore. No. And- so, yeah. So now uh, actually in the last six months, we've started doing some marketing again. When I say marketing prospecting, I believe that there's two forms of marketing. There's warm marketing, your database, your sphere, people that know you, like you, trust your relationships and cold marketing, i.e. prospecting lead gen. I haven't done any prospecting in years, but I did crank it up recently because I have a couple of team members that say, hey, I'm ready. And their conversion has been really good. So I subscribed to some companies and some companies, by the way, charge a huge upfront and a smaller referral fee. Others charge a little bit upfront and a bigger referral fee. Those are the ones that I recommend to our listeners because they have more skin and more motivation to get good leads. I mean, I paid one company 10 grand recently. Uh, to produce appointments and they're just terrible uh, Zillow leads that aren't realistic. They don't want to talk to anybody. So that would be my free tip for you. But but we we are you know trying to raise the bar for the industry, not just through our podcast on the consulting side, but as a real estate agent. So I'm producing a lot of content videos for buyers, for sellers, for market updates through our blog and through uh, leveraging the various social media channels, i.e. YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. So give me, go a little bit more in depth about that. So what does that strategy look like when you say you're creating content? What does that look like that's going to potentially attract more luxury? The Fed just uh, raised uh, short-term interest rates, 0.75 basis points, uh, again, last week, that's a second rate in the last month. How does that affect you if you're thinking about buying a home or selling a home? Well, there's a lot of misconceptions out there. If you uh, heard recently the Fed raised rates, that does not affect mortgage interest rates. So when we say the Fed just raised rates 0.75%, that doesn't mean mortgage interest rates went from 45 to 5.25 or 5.25 to 6 or whatever the rate is. It's for short-term loans only, i.e., home equity line of credit, cars, et cetera. Uh, mortgage rates are more affected by the bond and what the bond. So again, that would be an educational video on rates. So that's a time video that that is sensitive to some recent news. So that's one example. Another example might be, hey, summer's over, school's approaching, thinking about selling, or maybe you are selling, should you hit the pause button and reconvene in early 2023? And so I might talk about why I think that's a bad idea because if somebody has to buy a home in the St. Louis suburbs or Chicago or wherever you're listening, again, Wayne Gretzky says you, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, Mr. Seller. And if there's a hot to trot buyer, yes, there's less buyers in the fall. Historically speaking, there's more buyers in the spring season than there are in the fall winter season. But would you rather be one of 13 homes on the market this fall or one of 38 in the spring? I like Mm -hmm. our chances at one in 13 versus one in 38. So that would be an educational video why they might want to keep the home on the market or list in the fall. So these are all educational videos. And I I, think about it. You come across commonly asked questions in the mortgage industry, Mm -hmm. whether you work with buyers, sellers, renters, investors, there's commonly commonly asked questions, Q&A that consistently come up. I, those are your topics right there. And even if you did one nine months ago, do it again. Yeah. Uh, 
And so consistently address commonly asked questions and time relevant for buyers, for sellers, and market updates. Now you can do investors and showcase local towns and testimonials and all those. Those are a little bit more advanced. But if you want to keep it really simple, if you do one tip a month for a buyer, one tip a month for a seller, and hey, today's, you know, here we are in August, you could do August real estate tip of the month and and then do September's next month. And, and that's three a month. That's 36 in a year. That's 72 in two years. It's 144 in four years. Again, you'll be better off than the competition. It's not a big rocket science, scientific poll I take, but when I'm in front of a room, I'm, you know, like when you and I were at NAREB, the old raise the hand. Mm-hmm. If, and, and I'm telling you, pre-COVID, 10 to 15% of agents were consistently putting video out there. They had a YouTube channel and they've posted at least a couple of videos on their social media and YouTube in the last month. Now, post COVID, more people are comfortable with video. Call it 20, 25, that would be high, yeah, but call high. it 20 to 25. That still means 75 to 80% of your competition isn't doing it. It's not too late. So, And what is the correlation to what you just described in luxury or is there any? So, uh, so luxury, the correlation is, you know, people are going to do their fresh eyes analysis. They're going to Google you. They're going to look you up. They're going to look at your branding, right? So you want to look the part. You should be providing some content that's relevant to those upper price points. If, if I went to an agent's website and current listings and, you know, they're all, you know, in the 100s and I'm branding myself as a luxury agent and I look at recent sales and they're all in the 200s and 100s you're going to have a little bit more difficulty. So you got to do some more prospecting and lead gen and just get opportunities. And some of those opportunities, Jeff, would be, you know, joining chamber in those price points that those homes are and then build relationships with the business owners. That's how I broke into luxury. I joined the chamber in Hinsdale, Illinois. I joined a luxury office. I did some coaching for that office. And I quickly realized that, shoot, these agents are selling a lot of million dollar homes and I'm a better marketer. I just need to plant my flag in this neighborhood and do some, some marketing and some networking and get to know some business owners so that I'm top of mind awareness. Hmm, I love that. You know, going back to uh, what we were talking about in the beginning, which was, you know, kind of debunking the myths and, 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 and I think a lot of people just assume you have to look a certain part and play a certain part in order to get into luxury. You know, was your mindset when you went into this with unique marketing, for example, which I would argue probably very few agents have the cojones to attempt that just because it goes against, you know, uh, societal trends or whatever you think uh, the, the industry says you're supposed to do. But would you say that that's almost a niche down strategy to the effect where it's like you're not going to be everything to everyone? And I realize when I'm sending goofy, you know, marketing stuff to these houses and a letter from my dog that there are going to be some of these hoity-toity luxury homeowners that are going to look at me and be like, you're an idiot, but that's okay. I don't want to work with them anyway, because they're probably not going to choose me because they're going to choose the the historical uh, agent who has the reputation. I'm going for the person who's more like-minded, who finds my content comical, and they feel like they can relate to me. Is that what? Yeah. I mean, so I gave some examples. Those are maybe extreme examples, right? But but the reality is you need to know what keeps that consumer awake at night, right? So if somebody, let's talk about cancel and expires in this example, what keeps that cancel and expired awake at night? Their home was on the market once or twice. It didn't sell. So there might be some embarrassment. Friends think their home's overpriced. They didn't, why didn't they like the last agent? I didn't hear from them. They didn't market my home. They threw a sign in the yard. The only time I heard from them was to lower the price. So my, my message in these mailers was reminding them of those things indirectly. Um, hey, listen, if you're looking for a traditional agent that's a local agent, does it part-time or belongs to the country club and just networks, and that's how they think your home's going to get sold, I'm not that guy. You know, I, I sent a packet of aspirin. I would have aspirin, a picture of aspirin. Why am I sending you an aspirin? Because I know selling with a traditional agent, I put traditional in quotes, has been a headache, and I want you to avoid hiring another traditional agent. So traditional was the bad guy. You know, it's it's uh, Apple. Uh, versus IBM, right? Steve Jobs and his presentation secrets, right? It's it's good guy versus bad guy. It's traditional agent 
versus marketing agent. And that's how I would, that's how I think. That's how I believe. So when I'm talking to real estate agents, I'll talk, hey, listing, get the listing. But when I'm talking to a consumer, I never refer to their home as a listing or I'm going to list your home. I'm going to market your home. There's a calculated difference. I, 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 so going back to the question, would, when you're talking to someone who is looking to crack in, um, and I'm thinking, just thinking out loud, I'm trying to put myself in their shoes because as a, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a think outside the box guy just with you. And I like to be different, but most people aren't cut from that cloth, but the reality is it, the agents who are listening to this, if you try to crack into luxury and do what the luxury agents are doing, you're going to be battle, you're going to have an uphill battle that might be, you may not be able to, to overcome because you're competing against people that might have sold 50 luxury homes in the last few years, whereas you don't have that. So if yeah. you don't think outside that box, it's going to be a hell of a lot more challenging, or you're just going to straight lie. And, and I don't think that's going to work either. No. So you want to always be uh, upfront. So if Jeff, uh, you were the seller interviewing me and I didn't have a lot of track record, I would leverage my brokerage. And if my brokerage had a lot, so many people, if I were to have uh, interview a hundred different people and say, define what a team is in real estate, you'd probably get 50 different answers, right? So, you know, this is where you could say, hey, one of my team members, I haven't sold any in this neighborhood or in this price point, but our, one of a team member or someone in my office has, and and I've already talked to them about your home and we already have some ideas going because I probably would talk to them beforehand. I might not disclose the address, but I would talk to something. The other thing is you can address the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room is, Jeff, you're going to have some choices of other luxury agents. Matter of fact, there's two in this neighborhood, and I know they sell 90%. But you're going to be just another property to them, where for me, you're going to be my trophy property, my trophy client. You're going to get me. You call me, you text me, you're going to get me. You're not going to get an assistant. You, you know, this is not just a another listing. Matter of fact, there's a home in my market that was $15 million, that one, number, one of the top two or three agents in Illinois had it. I was up against her. I knew statistically she you know, would blow me away. I think I did 38 million last year, 30 in listing volume, average list price a million dollars. That's doing no advertising and doing more training consulting, right? She did over a hundred million, right? So it was not even close data wise, but you know, you don't bad mouth the competition, but I knew going into it that this was not going to be a trophy listing for her. It wasn't a town that she didn't necessary uh, enjoy selling and she didn't know the town another team member was going to be there for the showings and not her and sure enough that's exactly what happened i ended up showing it a couple, a couple times to a buyer i didn't represent the seller we made an offer that agent told the seller what they wanted to hear 15 million i told the seller 10 to 11 million and she said i would never sell at that price so again the first agent got fired. I don't know if I'm considered for the second, but I, I, I'm not going to tell a seller what they want to hear. And so I, I tell that to an agent, excuse me, to a seller, like, you're going to get me, but you're going to, you are my trophy client. You're not going to just be passed on to a team member. Now, if you are a rock star agent and you're going up against an individual agent, then leverage the benefits of a rock star agent. So I would say, Jeff, you know, we have 13 properties currently above a million dollars. Your home is unique. It's different. But a lot of times, Jeff, we get boomerang buyers where they call on one of our other properties for whatever reason. They don't like that property. And guess what? I can say, you know what? Based on what you're telling me, this one you said isn't the right fit. Maybe you're talking to the buyer's agent, Mr. Buyer's agent. But I have this other one that sounds exactly what your clients are looking for. And you might want to take a look at that. So last year, I sold the highest sale ever in the town I live in, Wheaton, Illinois. It was sold for 3.1, but the appraisal came in low. So 289. That buyer came through my other listing in Naperville, Illinois. And I was there for the showing, right? So many times in these upper price points, no lock boxes, listing agent must be there. And so I'm reading the buying signs. I'm listening to the feedback. And once I realized and once they shared that that house wasn't for them, I spun them over to another. So if that's you, you can leverage that and talk about that other agent might be hungry and aggressive, but they don't have the buyers. We have the buyers. We have the magnets, the signs and the internet leads. They call because we have the properties. Yeah. 
I, I mean, I love that. I love that. I think there's there's so much that somebody could walk away from in this podcast, and uh, not to mention that they are going to have a new uh, a, a new way of thinking about "Are You Down with OPP?" Uh, it's not just a '90s hip hop song anymore. It actually has real meaning. Yeah. So, like when we launched our designation in 2016, that's a feedback we get. Is like, like I launched it out of necessity. I, up until the pandemic. The luxury Chicagoland market has been literally 15 years of a buyer's market. And so it's like, do you want another listing? Because it's probably not going to sell or you're going to battle the seller on, well, it was worth X or it appraised one time for Y, but it's only worth this. So out of necessity, I had to be creative. I had to think outside the box. And that's really what we built our trainings on is not thinking like a real estate agent. Think like a marketer. Yeah, I love that. What what is the average price point in the greater Chicago area? Yeah, so there's a lot of suburbs. So the suburbs that I live in, DuPage County, the average sale price is it's around four hundred fifty thousand um, dollars. So I would define a high end home in DuPage County as two times that average sale price. So four fifty times two is around nine hundred. Mm-hmm. And I personally, for our course, our books. We define a luxury home as a home that is three times that average sale price. So 450 times three, you're looking around 1.3 million. And then we define ultra luxury as a home that's 10 times the average sale price. So an ultra luxury property in the Chicagoland market would be 4.5 million and above. And so it's really important I share that with you because luxury is all relative. I've done these mm-hmm. trainings. You might know a guy named Matt Fagioli who used to run mm-hmm. these conferences called Explode. I did a training once in Kokomo, Indiana, and never heard of Kokomo. And I live in Illinois. I drove over there. I had a gal approach me afterwards, say, I'm so glad I came to your training. I was really looking forward to your session, but I was hesitant because we don't have million dollar plus properties here. But based on your definition and our average sale price, this is pre-COVID 80,000. Now it might be 120, but their average price was $80,000 in Kokomo, Indiana. Based on your, your, your multiplication of three, Mike, we certainly have a lot of 240s. We even have 300s and some 400s. We just don't have the million dollar plus. So rel- relatively speaking, luxury, it's all relative to that given market. Yeah, I love, I, you know, I'm, I'm glad I asked the question because you're right. It's, I think a lot of agents are going to immediately just say, I don't need to listen to this because I, I live in a Kokomo, Indiana type uh, area. And even I would say that in St. Louis, I mean, to get a, to get a seven figure listing, I mean, yes, they exist. We're a big market, but you know, it's not common, right? Mm-hmm. We're probably a lower price point even than Chicago is. And I, the reason I asked that question is because you are Chicago, you are Midwest, which is not Malibu. It's not LA. It's not New York. It's not Miami. Um, we're, you know, we still, you know, ride horses to work, uh, uh-huh. but based on some of the, the, the way people feel about us, but, uh, I, I love that, man. And and you and you've you've not only I've used this word multiple times, but you've debunked a lot of things uh, when it comes to luxury. Obviously, I mean, yeah. you know, you, you you cracked in as as a PE teacher. That's that's one thing. You you cracked in uh, to to succeeding by being very unique in a time when unique marketing was not what it is today. Today, it's become mainstream, right? Doing goofy things, dancing in videos, that sort of thing. It's mainstream. What you were doing at the time. Uh, was not. And 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 I love that you did yeah. that. And I hope that our listeners today got something from that to say, you know what, I am going to be willing to step outside that box. Because what what is the worst thing that happens if you send, again, I'm going to use the, this again, is a, a letter from your dog, right? What's the worst thing that's going to happen? The letter is going to end up in the trash. But odds are you're going to catch their attention because it's different, right? right. And um I mean, I think I think that's phenomenal advice. So let me ask you one last, it's a couple couple last things. One is, is by the way, I, can, I believe that you can put me in any market, and you can put me in Beverly Hills in the Hampton, and I'd be a successful luxury agent because I'm creative. I'm outside the box. I, I question whether you can take out somebody from Beverly Hills or the Hamptons and they'd be successful in the Chicago suburb being a luxury agent because, again, we're a buyer's market. Wealth is leaving. It's much more difficult and that's than, than in some of these. You could be a Miami agent and stumble across you know, a, a multi-million dollar uh, buyer or seller a lot easier than you can in the St. Louis market. Yeah. Yeah, to- totally true. So what would be, you know, what, what would be your, your parting your parting thoughts for our audience? Yeah, my parting thoughts are, uh, again, what you focus on expands. So if you're looking to diversify the homes that you represent, whether it be buy side or sale side, 
and you want to go into those upper upper price points, you know, you got to be more knowledgeable, which will help create, you know, grow your confidence. And so whether that be listening to podcasts like this, what are you reading? What are you listening to? Uh, I would say your brand and your brokerage can help support you, but they don't have to. The brokerage I'm with here in Illinois is not a luxury brand. And it hasn't, you know, I, I interviewed with the former CEO of Office Max and he hired me over a brand that was very luxury, but he liked, he did his due diligence on me. So I believe you are your brand and your brokerage helps support you uh, versus you are your brand powered by Keller Williams or Cobalt Banker. No, I think Keller Williams, Cobalt Banker, Sotheby's, whoever is powered by me. I, like they need me and I'm, you know, I'm supported by them. Yeah, one hundred percent. And and you've you've mentioned one of your books. You've authored what three books? Is that correct? Yeah, we've authored uh, a few books out there: luxury listing specials, marketing luxury, outside the box, and then how I became a top producing agent working part time hours. And then I was a contributor in several other books. I love it. I love it. And I assume they can find all of those books on yeah, Amazon. Yeah, on Amazon, luxury listing specials on Amazon, thirty bucks, twenty nine something dollars. And uh, we provide a lot of free content out there, Jeff, just like you do through our podcast. It's called Luxury Listing Specialist. It's on iTunes and Spotify, Stitcher. And then we do a free free, a free weekly live stream. It's called Luxury Fridays. You can go to luxuryfridays.com. Again, if there's a conflict, we might do it on a Thursday or a Wednesday or a different time, but we're consistent. About 90% of them are Fridays at 11 a.m. Central. It's a live stream through our YouTube channel. Um, and a couple other menus. But if you go to YouTube and you subscribe to Marketing Luxury Group, subscribe to Marketing Luxury Group, you'll be notified of any upcoming live streams in real time. That's awesome. And what's the best way to connect with you? If they just, if they've got a question for you. Yeah. Email Michael at Marketing Luxury Group is a great way. Uh, Michael at Marketing Luxury Group is probably the best way. Or you follow me on social media. I'm on TikTok. I'm on Facebook and Instagram. You can Google my name, Michael Lafito. Michael, it's always a pleasure. I look forward to these every time we get to connect. We need to stay in touch a little bit more consistently, I think. And um, Absolutely. You guys are doing some amazing things, uh, you and Tristan. And um, one other thing I forgot, our designation, I get asked a lot, do I have to have sold a luxury home or two before I get certified in luxury? And the answer is no. So we'll work with you, whether you're a newer agent or not. I'm all about raising the bar for the industry, Jeff. And so I've had agents that were declined with other designations come over to ours. And they're so thankful because we don't have a prerequisite. That's powerful. And if you don't take advantage of that, say it one last time. If they want to go get that designation, where are they going to go? They go to luxurylistingspecials.com, luxurylistingspecials. We have a calendar of events where our upcoming trainings are. Our next one is in September in Milwaukee. We've done five in person so far this year. And uh, so yeah, go to luxurylistingspecials.com. Awesome. Michael, once again, thank you so much. Thank you. Today's episode is brought to you by ZBuyer and ZBuyer offers an unparalleled home buyer and seller lead generation service. It's made by realtors for realtors, which is kind of the cool thing. Since 2003, ZBuyer has been continually perfecting state-of-the-art lead generation pathways. In fact, I've been using them since 2009. And ZBuyer brings motivated home buyers and sellers to you virtually. Visit zbuyer.com forward slash LCA to see how ZBuyer can help you close more deals in 2022. Podcasts.